Hey, it's Andrew here. Today we're featuring Pedro Magrico. Pedro was previously the director of product growth at Typeform. In this episode, Pedro shares what he learned working at Typeform over the last five years. As we dive into the experiments they tried to reduce churn, their success with integrations, how to A-B test pricing, and much more. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Pedro. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you today. How are you doing? Hey, great! Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for thanks for uh, for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I think uh, the two of us we've had chatted for quite a while now, and uh, we've had a few calls. The topic of churn does come up from time to time. Um, maybe you can just tell the listeners a little bit about uh, where you're at, your role. Um, yeah. So right now, uh, I'm no longer a type form. Actually, I uh, very recently uh, joined another company. Uh, at Typeform, um, I was there until November of last year, and I was there for five years. Um, I was uh, head of growth, so uh, I uh, growth was a was a division of of, of product. So, product had three uh, main divisions, and growth was one of them. We were three squads. Uh, the first squad. Um, um, did acquisition, the second did uh, activation, and the third did uh, conversions and revenue. Okay. So you've actually been at Typeform for quite a while. You must have seen it, uh, everything from beginning to end now at the moment. Like we, we once chatted as well that, uh, that in terms of the focus uh, towards Typeform uh, in, in churn, like what do you say that Typeform typically focuses on churn? Or? So... Yeah, like, you know, we, you know, true to be told, we didn't work on churn directly. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't mean that we didn't look at churn. Um, we, we did look at it, of course. Uh, what I mean is that we didn't focus much on, on trying to fix it by targeting existing customers who, who go inactive. Um, we did try a few things with, 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 you know, uh, templates and, and recommending more use cases and notifications, but, you know, it, it, with very little success. Um, and if you want, we can talk more about those things. Cool. So where did you focus in? What was sort of your main KPI, uh, as the head of growth? Yeah, we, we were more focused on, uh, new business, new, like, um, new Customer growth. So um, 
you know, of course, and, and that's how the team was structured, right? So um, one squad working on acquisition and that was much around the virality of the product because Typeform is inherently viral. Um, the activation, of course, you know, you're viral, but that also means you get a ton of crappy traffic. So how can you have a great first um, user experience? Um, you know, show them, you know, this is, you know, this is a great product. Um and then revenue. So pricing by far has been, you know, the, the biggest, um, the biggest growth lever that, you know, in my experience, um, at Typeform, it's been, it's been the biggest growth lever for sure. Uh, and actually it also helped with, 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 with reducing churn. Okay. And how so? So, yeah. So I think maybe the biggest thing we saw, uh, when it comes to, to improving churn was when we introduced um, Pro Plus. So Typhoon's um, like first plan and, and most popular is the Pro Plan. And that, that's that's how we launched the you know the paid the paid plans and this was back in 2014. And then in 2016 um, we launched this Pro Plus plan. So um, and it's it's you know, double the price, um, and you know it has a few more features, and, and it was it was pretty limited in functionality actually when we launched. Um, however, what what happened is that you know our best customers, um, you know, and these people are you know are your fans. They they want you know they love your brand, they love your product, and they're willing to pay you more. So you get something out, and um, you know. And, and they naturally expanded more than everyone else. So what that means is that your revenue now, like the revenue they generate is, is a bigger chunk of your total revenue. Uh, and, and because they're higher quality, you know, you have higher quality revenue and therefore your overall churn goes down. Uh, so, so that's pretty straightforward and we did see that. Uh, Interesting. So you, you have a definition of sort of best customers, like, how do you go about defining what a best customer is uh, for uh, Typeform as it is? So we looked at um, a variety of metrics. Like there's, we didn't have like, okay, best customer needs to do this and this and this, but um, we have um, a definition, which was um, the stickies. Well, very straightforward, the stickies. And these were people that, uh, paid for consecutive 12 month uh, periods. Uh, so literally they never turned, uh, they accounted for more than half of our revenue. Um, that percentage went up when we launched pro plus, uh, we, um, we also looked at, you know, time to conversion and first month turn. Uh, so these metrics, like there was a segment there that was, um, you know, very different from, 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 from the majority of our customers. And the thing is that the, the majority of our customers were, were using Typeform for surveys and surveys is, is a one-off use case, like the, the vast majority of survey use cases, right? So you launch a survey, you get the data and you're done and you don't need the product anymore. Move on to the next project. Yeah. Exactly. So the, our best customers also like have more evergreen use cases. Like uh, our best, the 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 use case that I uh, remember was most correlated to retention was was contact forms. 
Um, okay. Payment forms, so payment collection forms are also very strong. Um, and of course, these 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 are much more. You know, um, it it's it requires more effort to set up. So of course, you're more committed to the product when when you use it for those use cases. Yeah, and you mentioned this as well. Actually, that's like uh, integrations being one. I think that's definitely one big use case where integrations makes the product a little bit more sticky. If people are relying on you for their contact form on their site or their app, uh, it's not something that they want to lose uh, quite easily. Exactly. Yeah, that that was a big focus for us um, um, end of last year. So it's it's you know, and if you go to Typeform now, you'll see a lot about you know. Um, Typeform Connect. So this is, you know, making a more connected Typeform. And, and it's just playing the rules of the game today, right? So t- there's a ton of SaaS apps and tools out there and everyone's becoming more specialized and, and, and more integrated. And, you know, if you have customers come in and they already use other tools, you need to integrate with those tools. Um, and when they do, it's it's great for you too because you know you you more easily get more customers. But those customers, they also spend some time to set up, you know, their workflows, and so they have the these workflows getting data from one place to another. And so switching away is more costly because you know you need to set it up all over again. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what sort of got you on the track though of the workflows? How did you figure out that you needed to move in the direction of integrations and, uh, start introducing? Yeah. So, you know, Zapier, right. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of pioneered, uh, the idea, you know, that you can connect apps together. Um, and it was such an easy thing for us to do is okay we knew you know integrations was a you know was a thing even when we launched and zapier made it super easy for our you know for us to uh, offer integrations to our customers and and then looking at the data and zapier doesn't share <laughs> the data much but from what we could see is that people who integrated with zapier um they turned a lot less they turned quite a lot less so we figured also that uh, you know the you know the job to be done really for the typeform you know for the customer that's using typeform it's not it's not the form itself like you, you you're after collecting the data to to use it somehow for for something and and yeah. um, that you know integrations then if you if you look at them from from that angle that you know it's it's about the data and, and you know, it, it just bec- they become more and more important because they're not going to use Typeform for like sophisticated data analysis or like we're not a CRM tool, but we collect leads, right? So, and, you know, acting on and following up on those leads with your CRM tool, it's what it's about. So it's it, be, it just became clearer to us, both from the metrics and also from the, you know, uh, where we stand as a product and the value we can deliver that integrations was 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 important for us yeah absolutely it's like getting more embedded and embedded into the workflow the one thing though that's always interesting is yeah, with typically with integrations you tend to see a dip in engagement within your own app um is this something that you looked into and I mean, the dip can obviously come as a better fit to the user because they're getting more out of the tool, but was this something that you looked at when you started working on the integrations? What do you mean? How so? 
So less time, people will be spending less time in your app and more time in others. Uh, yes, we did see that. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, for you to have an idea, uh, even in the beginning, when, 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 uh, like when we, at some points, we, we were looking at our results tab. Um, you know, okay, well, you know, results, what we should do with them, you know, it looks like, you know, this needs some love, you know, that kind of like Friday afternoon talk, right? Uh, so, you know, when, when we started looking at the data and then we saw that actually like people, you know, 80% of them spend seconds like in, in that results tab. And why? Because it ju- they were just downloading the data and get the data somewhere else. And so it was already like, awful (laughs) and so the more integrations we have now and they're connecting to google sheets they're not even bothered going to that tab um so so we definitely saw i mean it was already there but we we definitely saw people spending a little bit less time in in our app however in contrast um they do spend more time uh setting it up so you know you, you have to really uh, do the onboarding uh, well and show them, hey, you know, this workflow will save you time later on. And, it, you know, it's it just everything becomes automated um, yeah. and it will be much easier for you later down the road if you do this now. Sure. That's interesting as well. Like like you say, people spending seconds within your app and you came to that conclusion. Um, and you can definitely see it with the product with Typeform uh, being in the conversational uh, product it is uh, well I was always fascinated as well by like the finished product of Typeform I think it's something that uh, they take a lot of pride in the actual work as well um, and I know you had a project as well where you launched uh, Typeform 2.0 um, yeah. super interesting how you went about that and uh, was any of that driven by um, like looking for to increasing retention or to increasing engagement with your customers? That was mostly first time um, experience. And, you know, the, in that it's the, about the creation, making the creation process, um, you know, removing friction from that. So I don't know, I don't know if you remember the old uh, flow, but every time you, add, you have to add a question, you know, there was this preview that popped up and then you wrote your question and you saved and then you had this screen popping on and off. Yeah. Um, so what we did was, hey, now let's put it, everything in the same flow. As you add your questions, you can preview them in real time. Um, and also you can just type to, to you know, um, build your 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 form. And... You know, of course, this also helps us live up to our name of like type form. You just type your way and your questions and the form just gets, you know, um, done. And then and, and you can preview it all in real time in one screen. And then when you're done, you just share it. Getting it. Wow. Experience. Uh, uh, you yeah, mentioned that was, uh, yeah. that was quite of a because it wasn't just that front end experience it was also. Uh, in the back end, we did a lot of uh, uh, refactoring. We, you know, killed services, started new ones. That project took more than a year of the whole company focused on that. And what, what was the outcome? I mean, what did you see that do towards like your activation and your retention? 
we saw like at the beginning we saw some active users uh quite annoyed <laughs> yeah <laughs> the switching costs is always tricky and you know we tried to mitigate it as much as we could um but you know and and it and it's hard because you worked on that thing for so long and then you see this feedback and then oh god uh, but then like slowly, like we started seeing that, you know, people, um, were liking the experience and, and, and the new brand. We also like uh, took the chance to redesign the brand a little bit and, and how we communicated, uh, it, it just, the UI became fresher and the product became a lot faster and just those performance improvements alone and, 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 and the added benefits of the, of the experience we saw people, people more engaged. Um, we didn't like hard tested it. So we didn't see like, okay, this was the next percent increase in whatever. Um, but qualitatively we did see, uh, uh, you know, people happier. Big jump. And qualitative, like how did you go about figuring that out? Well, NPS and, and social media. Um, so we, we used to track NPS quite a lot. Um, um, you know, Customer success held this um, customer voice meeting every every month, where they would walk us through the score and how it it broke down, and you know um, how it changed per the product changes we did. Uh, earlier, you mentioned as well, like uh, Typeform is a premium product in nature; it's very viral as well. But you tend to get uh, quite a lot of uh, junk traffic as well, and then you touched a little bit on. Uh, the jobs to be done. So a survey being a single use case a lot of the time. Um, with jobs to be done at uh, Typeform, like maybe you want to walk us through what it is, how you use it uh, to influence the work and the experiments that you run. Yeah, it, it was it was a, a thought exercise. Um, it, it, it's a framework that helped us uh, abstract um, you know, away from features and like micro um, uh, functionalities that we feel the product should have and, and just help us think about, okay, what is exactly that the user uh, is wanting to do? Um, so we had um, a UX team that they they use jobs to be done to 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 form and, and formulate the questions they would ask in customer interviews and and they reported back to us in products uh, and so it was just a um, uh, a helpful way for us to 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 think about how we we develop our product and in what direction so that had implications for example in the kinds of templates we 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 would build um, um, you know. Of course, yeah. you've mentioned the surveys versus sticky use cases, but then within the sticky use cases, there's a variety of different jobs that people that we saw people were after. Um, you know, collecting leads was was the biggest one. Um, there was also collecting payments, and and then we 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 had this eureka moment where you know Typeform can help you throughout the the different stages of your customer journey right so you're researching the market you launch you you run surveys uh, you need you know once you have a product you want people to sign up for that product so you you know 
lead generation comes into that. Uh, people paying for that product, uh, so payment collection. Um, and this helps us also formulate um, our marketing um, campaigns. So, so yeah, it was it was this that that was how we uh, we use jobs to be done. Very interesting. So then, like sort of type forms there throughout the user journey. Uh, with regarding marketing campaigns specifically, then so heading up the growth team, and you mentioned acquisition being one of them. Uh, how much of that as well was uh, looking at sort of the type of leads coming through, um, and what did you do uh, in terms of acquisition to try and improve the lead quality coming through? Sure. Um, so we um, so we had this trade-off, right? Where you know, okay, do we ask people, you know, what they're here for, and try to collect a lot of data from them? <laughs> but then every time we did that, like we saw activation rates tank just a little bit. But then you know, our marketing folks and data people would be very happy, and we did learn more about our customers. So we, we kept those things on for a while. Then we eventually, you know, wanted to simplify the onboarding and we killed them. We went back and forth in that process. Um, I, th- I think that was um, okay in that, you know, once you see a pattern, like it's not going to change in six months. Um, maybe you want to introduce that, you know, segmentation flow you have in your onboarding later on but to check if the same um, insights you got are still valid um, and that's fine but but yeah we were like just focused on you know getting people in um, and focus on getting people like talk to them in the in the common things that they wanted all to do so uh, you want to build a type form, no matter your use case. Um, no matter your use case, you need to add a question. Uh, and no matter your use case, you will probably want to preview your form and, and, and test it by sending yourself uh, a data response. Um, so it was more about um, in product growth, doing those kind of things than, than really segmenting and trying different flows. Because we also saw that, and, and the, the the first thing that we started doing in that when we pursued that avenue of of of, of work was was that it was very complex in terms of um, keeping track of the different flows you have in the product, and you end up shooting yourself in the foot um, because you miss some things that you know make sense in that flow but don't make sense in the other flow, um, and you know. And A-B testing results, right? So, like, you never know if you have to retest them twice in both flows. It's just, it's just, it was just too chaotic and you get diminishing returns at some point. So what we did find that was more relevant was, was, was emails and marketing. So, uh, how we collect the data, um, uh, using services like Clearbit and then we, um, deliver that data to marketing and then we try to be more segmented with our emails. Okay. So instead of actually in-app, it was more in terms of notifications and making that more segmented to the use cases through the notifications they received. Uh, yeah. I do see your points as well a lot, like the diminishing returns in terms of and how complicated flows can get when you try and segment and become too granular. 
Uh, yeah, we did see that. So uh, as well, uh, but still, because we had a, a decent, <laughs> a decent uh, uh, infrastructure for emailing, um, uh, it was it was more manageable than 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 products uh, than doing it inside the product. Um, yeah, for example, and and there's clever things you can do. Like for example, when one of our most successful emails was was referencing the 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 name of the type form um, you were working on, and then showing you related use cases to to and building some very simple logic, um, and that is something you can automate fairly easily. And how did that work specifically? I don't recall the exact numbers, but it's it was probably double digit increases in 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 activation from those emails compared to the old version all right so this is always an interesting one as well as like the crossover between marketing and product specifically in this like growth of product marketing roles um how closely did you collaborate on uh, projects like this where it came to the experience of that early like acquisition uh, onboarding uh, partly in app and then part through notifications what sort of was like the collaboration like between the teams yeah so we like um we were focused more on uh building the tools for marketing to 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 use to get the job done so and that's what we focused on not not so much of doing the job for them for them uh so typical example is a landing page we wouldn't build landing pages we would build more the tools for them to build the landing pages so that you do it once and then next time they have the needs like they can just run it run by themselves um this was how we collaborated the most um we also helped them quite a lot uh in terms of attribution and, and and building the data infrastructure to 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 allow um, you know emails and enable um, our um, um, marketing stack uh, to, to work um, so things like uh, segments and and um, tracking the events sending them to Facebook and AdWords so so they have all the data in in, in there so they can be more sophisticated with the targeting, uh, the remarketing list. So building all of that infrastructure, that's what we focused on. Uh, and then in parallel, we focused on 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 the things that were product driven, like the onboarding, the pricing, uh, referrals, the virality, all of that good stuff. Yeah, and pricing you touched on in the beginning. Uh, I want to dive into a little bit more. Is uh, you mentioned like introducing higher plans, like you definitely saw that uh, increase in revenue and uh, more engaged customers. How did you go about determining like those price increases? Uh, how did you know what the level was you wanted to start at? What is your process behind that? Yeah, uh, um, I mean, we didn't have a, like a formal process. I, I mean, I guess if you want to put it on paper would be just research tests measure and iterate right but no and in terms of research what sort of research did you do when it came to making these pricing changes yeah so we did like we worked with 
I think you 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 mentioned you've you've worked with them as well and at Hotjar, um, but we worked uh, with Price Intelligently. Um, so they have a few um, server methodologies that enable you to 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 determine you know um, price elasticity, you know willingness to pay, um, the most valuable features you have versus the not not so valuable. Um, usage-based metrics like, you know, should you charge based on number of responses or number of, uh, of questions that you add to a form, things like that. Um, so, so yeah, we, we, we worked with them um, and we had a data team that, you know, uh, did a lot of, of analysis on, on um, how our customers behave and respond to different pricing changes and we moved features across plans. That's something we did quite a lot. Uh, and we A-B tested, A-B tested those changes. And we also actually A-B tested different prices. This is something that people, um, you know, get nervous about. Absolutely. Uh, but I think, I mean, we did it and it can be done. And it was like, there was no big fuss about it. Um, the key there is to only test with new users yeah. and, and grandfather, you know, um, existing users. If you do increase prices, um, yeah, we, we test different price points and we're able to map our, you know, um, willingness to pay curve, right. Or price elasticity curve. And that was very, very, very cool. Um, yeah, we did it. We did a variety of things for sure, and then we just tested them and see see what worked. And uh, this research, this survey is like, uh, what audience do you send this out to? How do you decide like who should be surveyed to understand uh, the willingness to pay or the price elasticity? Yeah. Everyone, like <laughs> everyone, really. Everyone is like, a type form user. Everyone who's a type form user, and then you segment the data when you have you know, when you have it back. Um, like it's yeah you want to get as much data as possible because you you if you segment the date if you segment who you're serving beforehand you don't know that maybe you're missing out on some valuable insights you get from the segment that you didn't serve it um i want to dive into a little bit more because it is interesting and i definitely uh, get the feeling like people get very nervous with a b testing pricing um in an episode with uh, Jana Basto from Prodpad, we discussed this where Prodpad, what they actually did was test pricing on the um, pricing page, but then actually have the old prices in the app. So users would come and, and see that that led them to be able to test the conversion rate earlier. But what you're saying is something a little step further is actually A-B testing two different prices. How did that actually work in actuality? Would you set up two pricing pages and then have the experiences and the flow set up throughout that experience? Like how did you prevent customers from seeing uh, the two different prices? Because I'm sure you have them in docs and you have them in different places uh, throughout the app as well. Um, or that wasn't that a concern? Yeah, uh, very good question. So, the flows, the pricing page, everything was exactly the same thing in our case. Uh, what we did was when we first saw the user, we assigned them to a price variant. 
And then using cookies, we made sure that, and you know, if the user is logged in and into the product, it's 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 you know, you show the price that they saw in the beginning. That's uh, that's uh, straightforward. But if they went to the website, we just use cookies, um, and we didn't um, care about people going to mobile um, and checking prices there because that's just a fraction of the traffic we would. Um, we would, yeah. you know, uh, um, miss and, and to be honest, we didn't have people emailing us, Hey, I'm saying different prices. Um, and we also didn't care about the help center. So we still kept, um, the help center with, with the control, um, prices, whatever we could though, we, we, uh, removed like the exact figure of the price. So we would put a link, Hey, check out our prices in our pricing page. Oh, and as much as we could, we actually directed people inside the product to to check the pricing page inside the product. So it's just little things like this really help you mitigate those 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 problems. And then when filtering the data and analyzing the data, you can filter out all of that all of those users that have been in those properties that you're not a hundred percent sure that you know you've controlled the price. Um, and then, and, and that way you can really guarantee that you have a solid, uh, and safe, safe analysis. And then when you, you test that, what sort of audience size are you looking for? Like, uh, how long are you running these experiments? Uh, and then how do you track them going forward as well? Like sort of what is the, the time frame? Yeah, well, you can, you know, you can put the numbers down in, in, you know, a statistical significance calculator and see how much time you needed. Uh, you would need uh, we for a test like this. I think we spent about uh, a month and a half, and we were able to see um, to get statistical significance at ninety five percent for conversions for sure across all price points. Um, and first month turn, uh, we didn't get. Uh, to 95 but we did get you know enough data to see to see a pattern there um so so yeah um it's not great like a month and a half it's a long time yeah um, but it can really change your business and the reason why we prioritize this test in the first place was because previously like a long time ago and we increased our prices and actually at that time we didn't test them we just increased them and we have, um, you know, increased them by 40% and we didn't see conversions go down. And so, you know, like if it worked once, it could work again, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then, so that experiment, because my next question was like that experiment then was a success or did you actually experiment more than once with the prices with an AB test? So that second, so that experiment, that test was inconclusive. So the higher price points, we got more revenue, but less customers. Um, and, um, we, you know, the higher price points didn't, uh, compensate for the loss in, in customers. And so because we wanted, we only tested more, uh, expensive prices and looking back, that was a mistake. You sh- you sh- we should have tested lower prices as well. Um, but yeah, so we, we kept the control because we wanted to, to value, you know, to favor more customers and, you know, because they, you know, get active, you know, there's virality kicks in and so on and so forth. 
Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, it was good to see that we, we had, you know, our price was optimal. And then also you get a lot of insights from the segmentation. So we, we were able to see, to see that, you know, um, customers with more um, responses were much less sensitive to prices. So overall your, your test might be inconclusive, but then when you compare segments, you, you, we, we did see some, 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 some positives there, some, some statistical significant differences there. Nice. Uh, and then what do you do like in, uh, with the test uh, is uh, like invalid? What do you do with the users that are actually going through that test uh, when you make that decision? Is there a transition made or are they on the path indefinitely on those prices? Uh, yeah. How do you manage? Yeah, we had a whole plan for, for that. Uh, so because it was inconclusive, uh, it was fairly easy, you know, people in the control stayed in control. We didn't have to communicate with them. People that we build the higher prices, uh, we could have just let them be there, but we figured it wouldn't be, you know, fair. And also, you know, it added some tech that, um, so we just emailed them saying, Hey, you know, we're, you know, decreasing your bill to $35 and, you know, happy days. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's that's an easy one. And then on the flip side, like you said, just grandfathering, making sure that existing customers uh, get their rates and yeah. just applies to new customers, keeping it simple and easy. Um, yeah, so, so you tested a lot then with um, price points. Uh, you did your research. Was there anything else that you did around pricing that uh, had an impact? Yeah, we moved features across plans um, as well. Um, so that was, that was big as well. Uh, so we, we, we were able to see the features that converted the best and, um, the ones that were more related to stickiness, uh, but had less adoption. So we moved customer uh, features that were in the higher plans to lower plans and features that were in lower plans to higher plans. So we just tweaked the packaging there a little bit. We also, uh, started testing, um, introducing, limits in usage in the free plan um you know it was we had an i have fairly generous and limited plan um and you know we had this idea that hey the free plan it's you know it's really generating a lot of virality and it's you know it's fueling our growth and it was for a long time uh, but then like if you can eke out like a 10% increase in conversion rate. Like, no, no, it didn't matter how much more variety uh, those free customers would get us. Like those 10%, um, that 10% win more than compensated for the loss in variety. Um, even though in the long term, you're never really, really sure uh, because you're also converting like people that would, would have rather stayed on free. So, your, yeah. you know, your retention will tank a little bit, will take a hit. Uh, so it, you're always walking in this, you know, you Fun win that. somewhere, but you lose somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and the, the moving features around quite a bit, how did you go about it? Is this something that you had uh, built in-house to easily be able to experiment with the pricing packages? Were you using a third-party tool to be able to do this? No, we, we did it in-house as well. You, you mean the actual changes? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, being able to 
create new packages because essentially that's if you're moving features around you updating packages and you're changing them all the time um was this something that done in-house or using sort of yeah. a subscription management tool no no we didn't have zora or anything like that we just uh, had stripe um and we you know effectively you don't need to you shouldn't need to change your subscription system because what you're charging is the same you're not changing the prices you're not you you, you don't even need to change the, the plan the names of the plan and what goes on the invoices what you change is what you um offer under that plan um and so it you know it's just a, a feature flag in the database and users you know is is, is set to it. false or true in the back end and, and that's it that's you know we have a fairly um good infra to do that now creating new plans and that was that was something we were starting to work on by the time i left uh charging for add-ons or creating new packages on top of your existing plan that's a whole avenue of of pricing that I wish I had the chance to to do more because, um, and also, uh, you know, you know, when it comes to churn, you know, expanding your existing customers is a great lever to to reduce your net MR churn rate. Absolutely, and on that as well, the net MR churn rate in terms of pricing and yearly plans, like locking people into longer subscriptions. Um, what did you do around that? Yeah, so so a lot of companies do this by default, um, which is showing uh, by default the yearly prices um, in their monthly equivalent. We uh, weren't so sure that this at some point that this was working for us because again, Typeform is a, you know it has as a nature that's you know infrequently infrequently used so. Uh, we we put that to the test, and we you know, um, and but it, it did it did actually work. So it was a, a double digit increase in the number of customers that uh, in the percentage of customers that go straight to to a yearly plan. Um, so that was that was a very good win as well. And must have, must have had a huge impact as well on uh, churn itself. Keep locking people into twelve months. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Pedro, for sharing today. I think you've left us a lot to think about after this, and it really has been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I wish you best of luck going forward now on your new adventure and uh, looking forward to hearing from how it goes and where you take your career from here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's keep in touch. Cool. Have a good day, Pedro. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. 
Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.